Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, everyone. This is Joyce Bender, and I hope you are having a great day. And before we go very far, first, Yoshiko Dart, I hope you are having a great day. Um, And a special shout out to my listeners around the world. I've got to tell you, you know, you you other countries better get with it because Ireland, Ireland is on it every week. Thank you. Thank you so much. And listen, keep fighting that fight. You know, uh, Bender Consulting Services, um, all about the competitive employment of people with disabilities, but that is everywhere, everywhere in the world. People with disabilities should have the right to work. And as a woman living with epilepsy, this is so important to me, but I want to thank you. And hi, Mark, our lead sponsor uh, for several years now. What a great company they are. Uh, have hired more people with disabilities from our organization than anyone. And, of course, from other organizations. They are just so committed. And uh, this is just another example of their commitment to people with disabilities. And AudioEye is also a supporter of the show. Uh, and they have that fantastic web access product, Audio Eye, thank you very much. And with that, I want to get ready for this show. Now, I already told our guest, I feel that what she does is so important. And you know what? So important for everyone to hear because I really don't believe people are educated about what she does at Not Dead Yet. And I want, I want every year to have her on. Uh, And, of course, you all know there's 900 hours of this show recorded in all of my shows, all of them. You can go to BenderConsult.com or just Apple to get any of these podcasts. And so you'll see that Diane Coleman, the president of Not Dead Yet, has been on all of those years. So, Diane... It is so great to have you. You are such a great national disability rights leader. And I am also certain, Diane, that the 17 other countries, some only have a few listeners, some like Ireland have more, that everyone needs to hear about Not Dead Yet. So welcome to the show, Diane. Oh, thank you, Joyce. I'm really honored that you wanted to have me on. Well, as I said, it's so important what you do, and I think so highly of you. Uh, but how about if you tell all of our listeners wh- what led you to become an advocate and the president of Not Dead Yet? Well, you know, I was mentored by some important leaders on a lot of issues, including uh, the ones that Not Dead Yet addresses. And, uh, you know, names that come to mind are Carol Gill and Paul Longmore, Eleanor Smith, and, you know, people could Google them to find out more. They've just done such great work over the years, Um, and I was just a a newbie 30-plus years ago, we won't say how many, um, when they they really uh, helped me understand the issues 
And then I also got mentored by some great community organizers like Wade Blank and Bob Kafka with ADAPT. And um, then, you know, the, the, the real world was hit with Jack Kevorkian, um, also known as Dr. Death. And he would provide his suicide machine and participate in the suicides of scores of disabled people in the 1990s. And so a lot of people with disabilities began to feel um, that we, in the disability movement, needed to get more organized to fight back against this because, you know, he was viewed by many in the public and the media as a, a good thing. But, you know, some of his favorite victims were um, women with multiple sclerosis, you know, some stories of people who had, you know, like a woman who lost her husband, another who lost her job, and, you know, he helped them um, commit suicide. And people just got really concerned. And um, my background as a lawyer and with the, all the things that people had taught me it made me kind of fit the need. So, uh, you know, it was actually Bob Kafka who gave me the idea for the name, not Dead Yet, which is from the movie Monty Python and the Holy Grail, uh, kind of a running gag in that movie. So, you know, that's kind of how it came about. You know, uh, wow, how Bob Kafka, he is so awesome. He, he's been involved in so many things, hasn't he? He really yeah. has. And yeah. speaking of uh, your name, Not Dead Yet, and I'm meaning now years and years and years ago. I think it was at uh, the Workforce Incentive Improvement Act that President Clinton signed, so it was a very long time ago, that I was at some event with Pat Wright, and when I asked her how she was doing, she said, not dead yet. So, I, I mean, this, <laughs> this organization has really, is really so important what you do. And, you know, when you were talking about, um, as you call him, Dr. Death, Kevorkian, isn't it amazing, though, how somehow the, he and the media were able to portray that they were doing this wonderfully kind thing for, for like these women with multiple sclerosis? That has always amazed me how it can be presented that way. Same here. It, it was really um, frustrating, but kind of shows a lot of the underlying, you know, social messages that people get about disability, and very negative messages, a lot of stereotypes, and, you know, we all kind of know what we're talking about with that, and it just played itself out in a horrible way. Yeah, to show you the root of that, and actually I'm going to write an article about this, but here's something people say all the time, but they don't realize what they're saying about or to people with disabilities. And that is when someone meets one of my employees, whether they're blind or deaf, or talking about me after I had brain surgery and with epilepsy, and they'll say, you know what, there by the grace of God go I. And I think, yeah, okay. and that, think that's about that. an example. And a lot of people are, uh, we hear a lot of people who are told, 
Boy, if I were like you, I'd rather be dead. If I had yes. a wheelchair, I'd rather be dead, et cetera. I mean, it's not uncommon um, to for people to be told that, and it's just a, a, such a terrible message that our, permeates our culture, really, and uh, that's a big part of what we're fighting. And that also shows why we have so many problems, such as with employment, because that stigma and that feeling almost is like, I don't want you around me, you know. I don't want to be you, I don't want to be someone like you, and I don't want you around me, and you could not work anyway. It really does. That's what comes out in the end. Uh, But anyway, okay, for our listeners, explain what Not Dead Yet is. Well, we're a a grassroots disability rights group, um, and what we do is we oppose what I would call the deadliest forms of medical discrimination against disabled people, which is, you know, doctor-assisted suicide, um, active euthanasia, um, futility policies where doctors overrule a patient's decision if they want to live, um, and the doctor will say, you know, well, it's futile, it's not going to, you know, be be anything worth uh, getting a result on. You won't live anyway, or it'll be so bad. Uh, And then, you know, we also want the equal protection of the law. And that means equal law enforcement when disabled people are murdered, which is all too common, as you may have heard of the, you know, annual day of mourning that um, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network leads, uh, where uh, family members and caregivers murder people with disabilities and they, you know, get light sentences or no sentences at all, um, even when they're convicted. So what we're really talking about overall is non-discrimination and equal protection of the law against this message that, you know, people are better off dead than disabled. I, I should also say about it that um, you know, they're kind of, when it comes to opposing assisted suicide, which is, you know, often seen as a progressive social cause, we're saying, no, it's not. Um, and uh, kind of top three reasons that we oppose it are, uh, we see the cost-cutting pressure in the healthcare system, people being told, oh, we can't afford to, you know, do what you need, Um And that pressure, you know, well, assisted suicide is the cheapest treatment. So we're kind of worried that, well, insurers, are are they going to do the right thing or the cheap thing? And uh, all too often the answer is the cheap thing, so it's a problem. Um, Then there's also the fact that, you know, supposedly in the bills in the United States, it's only for the terminally ill. But, you know, you look at what Kevorkian did, but really, when you look at the states that have legalized it, there's a few, and and they have data, and the data shows, well, not everybody was terminal, even if the doctor thought they were. Now, that may be news to the public, but it isn't news in the disability community. I mean, how many of us have been told we weren't going to, you know, live, or weren't going to live very long, and it turned out to be wrong? That is so common that, um, you know, we just call it terminal uncertainty. 
Um, and yet that's supposedly the basis of the law. They're going to die anyway. Well, not really, necessarily. Um, and then finally, we're worried about elder and disability abuse, because what these laws do is they basically foreclose the potential that a murder would be investigated or prosecuted. Once you sign that form, even that you're requesting assisted suicide, it's pretty much an alibi no matter what happens later. Wow. So, um, you know, you might change your mind, but if somebody decides, well, we're tired of waiting and we're going to give you the drugs anyway, um, there's just no protection the way the law is written. And it's kind of a setup. So... um, we, we really feel that those are, are three big reasons. There's a lot of other reasons, too. Suicide contagion, where, you know, it starts changing the concepts in the community, and Oregon has one of the highest um, suicide rates, um, far above, double digits, far above the national average, and it's grown over time. Uh, since they legalized assisted suicide. It just sends the wrong message to everyone about suicide being a solution to problems. Oh, I know. And that's what we're about. Well, thank God you're about that. And, and, you know, if you're listening to the show, what is your website, Diane? Notdeadyet.org. NotDeadYet.org. Tell everyone about them. And you know what? If you're saying, oh, my God, wow. They can't do it without money. So take time to make a donation. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be right back with Diane. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Highmark, we believe what makes us different makes us better. Our differences broaden our perspectives and foster diverse skills which complement each other, creating a stronger and more vibrant workforce. It's this belief that earned us recognition by the USBLN and the American Association of People with Disabilities as a 2014 Disability Equality Index Best Place to Work. So we'll continue to celebrate diverse individuals because inclusion benefits us all. To find out more, visit Highmark.com. For those in leadership positions with corporations, governments, nonprofits, and educational institutions, please pay attention. Are you aware that 10 to 15% of your potential clients are unable to use your websites properly? At AudioEye, an advanced technology has been created that eliminates accessibility issues and levels the playing field for all. Make the Internet a meaningful resource for millions of more people. Go to AudioEye.com. More accessible, more usable, more people. Call on AudioEye today. Visit AudioEye.com. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. 
Vendor assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Vendor services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.vendorconsult.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back, everyone. If you just joined us, we are talking to the president of Not Dead Yet, Diane Coleman. And, uh, you know, before the break, when Diane was telling the causes, and one of them was health care, I'm sitting here horrified thinking about some of this. And also when she talked about, um, you know, if at some point you signed this document that relates to assisted suicide, of course, you know, even if you change your mind, you signed that and then who knows what can happen to you. I'm meaning murder assault that leads to death, whatever it is, how easily that could be covered up. Um, I mean, that, that's horrible to think about. Um, and that's why, thank God, Diane, that you're doing this. Um, and I, I read about the situation on your website, Diane, that occurred in Europe in reference to assisted suicide. Can you talk about that? Tell our listeners what's happening. Well, there is a lot going on in Europe relating to not only assisted suicide, but also euthanasia. Um, And it really started out with the Netherlands. Uh, They were engaging in uh, euthanasia for quite some time. And then at at some point after 2000, they passed an actual statute related to it. And even though it's supposed to be only for the terminally ill, quote-unquote, it really has gone quite far beyond that. And then Belgium passed a law that um, has even gone further. Um, People have, you know, looked at that pretty closely, and there are cases where not only are people not terminal, but some of the people don't even have a physical illness at all, um, but are euthanized by, in other words, lethal injection um, because they have psychological suffering, some kind of diagnosed psychiatric uh, condition, and they say they want to die, and I mean, even could be in their 20s um, and be euthanized. It it has happened. So um, it's really concerning, needless to say, um, there are even uh, all along, been, there have been people who 
are euthanized who did not request it, um, who didn't go through whatever the process was. And right. how is that? How is that possible? Typically, typically that'll be a person with some type of dementia, from what the statistics seem to be, and what people have said in conferences and so forth. Um, and then there, you know, there's Switzerland, which has uh, what they call the Dignitas Clinic, and people fly from other parts of Europe into Switzerland so they can get assisted suicide. Um, Germany, uh, we recently learned, has been going through a process where um, they, it, it appears that they've decriminalized assisted suicide except for um, clubs, organized clubs that w- might might assist somebody's suicide, that's not legal. So a, like a final exit type of group would not be able to engage in assisting suicides, but a doctor or a family could. So um, that's being hashed out in the courts. I, and, and that's really just what we started reading about recently. Um, but it's surprising that it got there because I think in Germany, there was a lot of concern due to the um, T4 program during World, you know, World War II and before World War II, uh, where people with disabilities were euthanized. Um, but the bright spot in Europe, really, is the United Kingdom. They've, uh, they've formed a not-dead-yet UK. Uh, they've been very active. The, the person who... Uh, started it out uh, is a baroness, a member of the House of Lords who has a disability. She's a wheelchair user with spinal muscular atrophy. Um, And then others, also a couple from the House of Lords with disabilities and um, an actress in a major TV show uh, with a disability and some other, you know, some other great people have been very engaged and led uh, major efforts to prevent uh, the U.K. from passing an assisted suicide law. Um, So it's really, there's a lot going on in Europe that is is wonderful to see uh, in their work. Wow. Isn't that great? Oh, that's awesome. I mean, about what they're doing in the UK. You know, that, that when yeah. you hear these stories, Edwin Black, my friend, wrote the book War Against the Week about uh, Nazi Germany, what happened with people with disabilities. And when you hear some of these things, it's so scary because, you know, it reminds you of some of this. Um, and especially when you're telling me the person could be 20 years old, maybe they have a psychiatric disability. They're not like, oh, I have a terminal illness and you can still do this. That That's terrible. Of course, all of this is terrible. And to me, inhumane, and once again, shows how people with disabilities are viewed. Um, but anyway, I want to talk about guardianship for people with disabilities. I saw, again, on your website, an article about this, 
what does that mean? Like, it sounds like that can become problem, prob- problematic. Uh, what, what, what problems can arise from that for a person with a disability? Well, guardianship statutes are, in the U.S. at least, um, they're at the state level. And what, what I think a lot of um, people who work in the field of elder law and disability law are really thinking nowadays is that guardianship, which takes away the rights of a person to make their own decisions, should be avoided and be only a last resort if nothing else works. But still it is, um, you know, kind of entrenched in the system. And there's, there are a lot of people um, who have faced really what is called guardianship abuse. And you can Google it, and there are actual organizations trying to fight against it, and a, a lot of stories that have come up where, especially for seniors, um, where all of their decision-making rights can be taken away. Somebody is put in charge of all of their funds. So, you know, sometimes you think it's happening to the people who've got resources that somebody else wants. (laughs) And then the guardian, appointed by the court, and really the courts don't have time to do adequate supervision of what the guardians are doing. They just take their money and go use it on themselves. When in theory, they're supposed to only spend it on the person. So it's it's really an awful um, risk. So there's no no checking of that. I mean, how do people get to do... There is supposed to be. There is supposed to be. But if there isn't an, an advocate out there, you know, a qualified advocate actually monitoring what the guardian is doing. And sometimes the person is, you know, put in public guardianship where the guardian isn't even related to them. I mean, it could be either one can be risky. What's happening nowadays as a, uh, an alternative to this, that a lot of the um, organizations, including some of the government groups like National Council on Aging, um, the American Bar Association, Commission on Law and Aging, groups like that, are, are beginning to see supported decision-making, which, you know, I learned about it from the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network and, and others like that. Supported decision-making where a person gets some assistance with getting information, weighing the pros and cons of a decision, and the aspects of it that they can handle themselves, whatever their, you know, impairments might be, their wishes would prevail. And the supported, you know, the support is what's needed for them to make an effective decision about, you know, where they live or what medical care they get or so forth, Uh, you know, different issues that affect anybody's life. And in the healthcare context, that's where we, uh, and not dead yet, get most, uh, put most of our attention related to guardianship, it it, it can be life and death. 
So, you know, those are critical decisions. And, you know, people can decide, do I want to go through chemotherapy or is that going to make me so sick I really can't tolerate it and it didn't work the last three times and I'm ready to stop? I mean, that's a legitimate decision somebody could make. Um, But to weigh the pros and cons of that in a given situation, you know, is something that somebody could need help with. But most people can make a decision like that if they get enough support, and they don't need a guardian to take over their rights. Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions. Um, first of all, how does, well, let's go back. You mentioned about a public guardian. How does that happen? If there's no... Uh, family member, friend, relative, whatever, who could uh, serve in that role, it can happen. One of the things I read recently, because we we submitted a public comment on this and we did a little research um, relating to that, and and there was an indication that um, sometimes if a person's in a nursing home and the nursing home needs to get paid and they're not getting paid then they might seek a guardianship in order to have somebody have legal access to their funds to pay the nursing home. And so it, it looks like they can they can do that by getting a public guardian if there's, in other words, no one in the family who's managing the person's affairs and the person is very ill. So that that would be one way that a public guardian can happen. Okay, say like you have a terrible accident. And, I mean, you have an accident. You now are a person with a disability, and uh, maybe the head injury has impacted your short-term, long-term memory, um, and you do not have a family member, as you said. Who decides, oh, they need a guardian? Well, it, it, it's going to be a medical decision to some extent. Um, there are social workers now in the hospitals and so on. So this it can be brought up through that type of a method. But what we really encourage people to do is while they don't have a problem um, to designate who their decision maker ought to be, who they would want making decisions for them if they're unconscious or whatever, they cannot, you know, make all of their own decisions. Um, particularly in the healthcare field, that's what we're dealing with, and that's called a healthcare proxy, and it, it, that's a good way to, you know, protect yourself. If you haven't designated anyone, then each state pretty much has a law that establishes who is going to be your decision maker. And they create a kind of hierarchy, typically. It starts with the spouse. So if you're married, your spouse is going to be it. And even if you were separated or looking at getting a divorce and you really would have preferred your sister, 
if you didn't make your sister your proxy, it's going to be your spouse, as that's what the law will say. And similarly, then, you know, next will be parents. Um, it can be your adult children. And there will be a hierarchy set up in the law. And the public guardian is at the bottom of the list. So, and, and, and that person has to be willing. So if they, you know, they live across the country, they're not going to be engaged, et cetera. They can just tell whoever's trying to identify who your decision maker is to say, well, I'm not going to do it. And then they'll go to the next in line. So that goes back to pick somebody you trust. And it doesn't have to be a relative. It can be your best friend. But if you designate them, that's the safest way to get somebody that, that you feel you can trust. So, are, so that means there could be cases where you wouldn't know. If you didn't take care of all this, you would possibly not know then who the guardian would be. Right. That, yeah, that, that, that is a very dangerous yeah. situation. Very dangerous. Um, well, Diane, I wanted to talk for a couple minutes about the uh, American Metal Association or World Medical Association, uh, WMA, they changed their stance on assisted suicide. What, what, what did they do? What, what did they decide? Um, well, actually, I should start with the AMA. Um, actually, neither of them have changed their stance at this point. But um, beginning about two years ago, at the AMA, the American Medical Association, which is the doctor lobby, um, some of the members brought up the idea that they should rethink their position, which opposes assisted suicide, which they've always opposed, um, and instead consider going neutral. Or some of them would really like them to support it. And so that question was um, sent to their, the AMA's, quote, Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs, which is a committee. And the committee, um, this June, after two years of study, reported out that they thought the AMA position should remain the same. And when it came up for a vote in June this year, um, that report was not adopted, but instead it was the issue was sent back for more study, which is pretty much likely to mean another year of study, and then they'll reconsider it again next June, which is when their annual meeting is. And then when, when you look at the World Medical Association, I confess I don't follow it as closely, but last October they reaffirmed their opposition um, to assisted suicide. Uh, and that's, that's all I know about well, What that. makes me nervous is when any organization says, let's study this now. Because yes, that's leading it, it to that door concerning. being uh, open to them saying, well, it's okay then. Right. You know what and I mean? That's... That, I, I, I totally agree, and that, that was a big concern with the AMA, and there was a really concerted effort of 
um, many advocates, including disability organizations in the U.S., to communicate with the AMA Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs, um, Dread of the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, and Not Dead Yet, both submitted um, papers to the Council on Ethical and Judicial Affairs of the AMA to express our views and provide resources and materials and, you know, luckily the the membership of that committee, which is very important, really uh, felt, I think, strongly that they they needed to hold their position. So it is still in place. The AMA opposes. All right. Is there a... Um... This sounds terrible, but is there a lobbying group that's trying to make that happen? Not a not oppose, but but say it's okay. Yeah, there, there definitely are it. doctors who want to do it. There definitely are doctors who want to do it, want to change their position. But it's you know, it's like any big organization. It's it's a thing where every you know, every member, every delegate, you know, the AMA has a house of delegates that votes. And so, you know, if your doctor is a member of the AMA house of delegates, then lobby them to uh, explain our point of view. And I mean, a lot of doctors aren't aware about the disability community opposition. And the but, doctors that yeah. are for this, I mean, do you, do you feel there is a group trying to uh, lobby to make this, you know, a reality? Or do you think it's just, no, it's just different doctors that have different views? No, I think that Compassion and Choices is working heavily on this. Absolutely. They're, they're using, you know, their Compassion and Choices is the leading U.S. lobby group there are a couple others too, but um, really working on assisted passing assisted suicide legislation and lobbying different professional groups to change their positions. They're very active in that, and it's one reason that um, the voices of people with disabilities are needed to be heard in the medical world. They need they need to know how we feel about this, and you right. know whatever. I mean, some people with disabilities obviously don't agree with um, us on this issue, but the organized disability movement, the, the national organizations that have taken a position, uh, support our view that that this should be opposed. Um, so someone, the people listening to the show right now, uh, if they say, oh, I didn't know that, that's outrageous, I want to do something to stop this, what should they do? Like, what could they do to help you? I think uh, probably um, they can. they should follow our blog, which you can subscribe to for free. Just go to the blog um, so that when this comes up, they'll be aware of it and can weigh in when there are opportunities to submit comments. Um, 
it would be good if they got connected up with their own state coalition that's opposing legalizing assisted suicide because they're going to be the most tuned in to what is happening to the medical people within their state, which is a lot of where it starts. Um, and we'd be happy to help them connect with, with their in-state coalition. And, you know, and the other thing is they can bring it up with their own doctor and find out, you know, maybe look online to see who are the delegates from their state, if that's available. Yeah, I, I think that is very important because there are issues that come up where we have to take a stand and we have to say something. Whether it's an organization like I'm the vice chair of AAPD uh, or NICO or any group, but also just citizens at large, you know, people in different states, just as you said, if they are aware of this, they can make a statement about it. And uh, talking to the medical people they work with, anyone. And remember what I also said, you can make a contribution to notdeadyet.org. You know, everyone will tell me, oh, I want to I want to see this happen or that. And I'll say, well, are you giving a contribution to that group? It's very hard to do all these things when you don't have funds. So that's, that's another way you can do something to make a difference. Uh, and I hope you will. I hope you listen to that. Um, and, you know, I wanted to talk to a minute about families. Now, I have seen this happen myself, where a family member or a spouse decide, what do they call that? Compassionate choice. You know, I hate that name. I hate it because that just, <laughs> to me, is so hypocritical. I hate everything about that. But anyway, where they think, oh, I would be better off, you know, having helping this person to end their life. And who do they hear that from sometimes? The physicians. Now, do you feel that happens sometimes where the phys physician influences families? Yeah, I, I do think sometimes they do. And it it really depends on the doctor you get, but there's clearly some out there that are doing that. I mean, there are stories that, that we've heard as well. Um, so it does happen. Um, I could give some examples. Uh, yeah, I used to work ahead. with a woman named... I, I used to work with a woman named Terry Lincoln, um, and she told her story in an article, but uh, she was injured at the age of 19 and became a quad, and at first, after her injury, she was unconscious for a month or two and on a ventilator. And then she was, uh, during that time, her parents were pressured heavily by doctors to pull the plug. You know, she'll never walk again. She'll this, she'll that. Um, she won't have a life, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, we should turn off the ventilator. And then when she woke up, uh, and she was still on the ventilator at that point, they kept on, on her, on her parents. It was really intense. Um, but they did not want to go along with that. And they, at that time, it was, you know, 20 years ago, they, you know, didn't try to overrule the family. They just tried to convince them over and over again. 
But then uh, she weaned herself off the vent and went on and got a job, has had two babies, a great life. And uh, the first year when she was, you know, beginning to get her rehabilitation, you know, through that and doing well, she went back to see those doctors and they were like so shocked. She said they just had tears in their eyes. Yeah, they made a big mistake is what they did. Um, you know, and then an- there's another story of Bill Peace uh, that's very well known. It was written up in the Hastings Center Report, which is a bioethics journal. And his story was personal. He got a pressure sore that was really severe, enough to be life-threatening. And he was in the hospital, and he was, you know, on IV antibiotics and so on. And a, and a doctor came in one night and tried to talk him out of using the antibiotics and said, we can make you very comfortable. You know, you're not, you might not ever be in a wheelchair again. You might, you're, you're not going to be able to go on. You know, he was a professor at a college, and you, you might not be able to go back to that. You're probably going to go bankrupt, blah, 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 and we can make you comfortable. <laughs> really tried to convince them. It's just some people have that idea, better dead than disabled, you know, really is the messaging. And it's a it's a terrible trend. Like you said, they use words like compassion. It sounds so nice and flowery, but you know, you really gotta see through it for what it really is, which is, you know, better dead than disabled, you wouldn't want to live like that. It's the wrong message. Yeah, and I bet that comes a lot from those palliative care doctors. Again, Do you know what I mean? Mixed. You know, some are very good, some are very good and they you know, don't feel that way at all. They're, they feel the they feel well how we would want them to. But others, you know, they 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 have that attitude, and you really just don't know until you deal with one that's an individual. But it's important as a person in the healthcare system to be to feel yourself on your own solid ground, how you feel, and not let them, you know, send those messages and 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 make you feel that you have to do what they want. Because, you know, they're an authority figure, but you don't have to take it. Yeah, and you know, after that years ago, 10 years ago, whatever it was, when that movie, Million Dollar Baby, when that movie came out, one of the first people to call me was Marco Bristow, telling me how much she hated this show, uh, that movie, I'm yeah. sorry. And the impact that movie would have, because, of course, at the end of the show, the person, uh, the boxer who's had the accident now, asked Clint Eastwood, the actor, to uh, help her die. And, you know, what Marcus said to me is, you do know a lot of people when they have an accident, they have quadriplegia. At first, that's what they think. I want to die. You know, I don't want to be alive. And then... After a while, okay, wait a minute. I don't want to die. Okay. And then all you need is someone at that time saying, okay, you know, I agree, assisted suicide. Uh, and, and that really is that slippery slope that you're on. Right. Absolutely. And then there was another example of it, you know, me before you, uh, the movie about the wealthy quad with a great life who decided he had to die. And, uh, you know, all the big international protests that went on, 
uh, oh, two yeah, years ago right, when that right. happened. Yeah, right. Yeah, same thing, same message. Same message as Million Dollar Baby. It's over and over again. And, you know, we have to fight back. It's great that people are fighting back. And they, they did with Million Dollar Baby as well. It sparked protests all over. But even bigger me before you. You know, and here we are again, as I said earlier, 70% of people with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce. And when you're saying, you know, I don't want to live me before you or million dollar baby, whatever it is, you're saying quadriplegia, that's bad. That's a bad thing. And when you get that entrenched in people's minds, that's how they think about people with a disability, that that's a bad thing. And we don't hire or want to bring on board bad things or problems. And it's going to be such a problem. And it's very sad, but, you know, a lot of times, and you probably already know this, Diane, but when people have uh, a tragic accident and now they have quadriplegia, uh, or something of that nature, many, many times the spouse lo- leaves. I mean, there's a high percentage yeah. of time. Well, it's that whole same, I don't have time, this is too difficult, I don't want to be around you, it'd be better if you weren't here. Do you know what I mean? It's that whole same uh, thinking. It really is. But anyway, well, Diane, you have already done so much. I mean, it's so wonderful what you're doing and all the great things you're doing. But if you had to think of one thing, what would you consider at this time in your life your greatest accomplishment? Well, I think it's really just being a catalyst for, uh, through Not Dead Yet, for all the great people with disabilities who've been giving their time and energy to work on these issues when the need arises wherever they are or, you know, like like we were just talking about, some of the big uh, shared events like protesting me before you all around the world. You know, that just that sense of how um, uh, we were, we've been able to uh, assist people with disabilities to rise up and... Uh, really challenge this better dead than disabled message. And I would just encourage people to share their stories, get involved um, at the local level, you know, get, try to get on your hospital ethics committee, um, find out what's going on in your community, subscribe to the Not Dead Yet blog, follow social media of groups that are working on these issues and, you know, be part of it in any way you can. Yeah, and you're also on Twitter. Not Dead Yet is on yes. Twitter. Uh, yes, and, we're on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and it's it's really good to follow. <laughs> what Diane was talking about, though, it's really a great idea to um, subscribe to that blog because it gives you information like what I told you I read, but it keeps you apprised of what's going on. And I also, Diane, I I like that idea of being on the, uh, trying to get on the ethics committee of a board. Uh, That is really a great idea. Right. I think if people see us more um, out there living our lives, it makes it a lot harder to say, oh, it'd be no good to be like them, would it? Here we are having a good time enjoying all the things that we do. Um, 
and I, I just think it's important for people to see that. The more the better. Yeah. Then I then I won't have to hear that there. By the grace of God, go I. You can pray till I hate <laughs> yeah. that. I do. I hate that. Um, okay. Well, Diane, <laughs> what, what what message do you want to leave with our listeners today? Well, I I would just want to say that I think all of us can fight the better dead than disabled message that's still too often out there in society. Just by being out there, um, letting go of the shame about our disabilities that we've too often been taught to feel, just forget about it, and um, live our lives. You know, all the different things that we want to do, we're an incredibly diverse community with you know, a whole range of interests and things that we like to do and if we're just out there it you know it's changing things and um i think we the, the the disability rights movement has made tremendous progress and we just need to keep on doing it i i hope that people will you know certainly get involved with not dead yet in whatever way fits for them and um we just need to keep on keeping on Yes, that's right. Keep on keeping on. Uh, you know, Tony Coelho has a great saying. When you get a chance to take the podium, speak up. And this is a time you should definitely speak up. Diane, thank you so much for being with us today. And I want to thank you for the great work and leadership in this area. Well, thank you, Joyce. I really appreciate you inviting me on the show again. Thank you for all your great work and reaching out around the world to um, tell people about everything that is going on in the world of disability. Thank you so much. Oh, yes. We're all in it together, Diane. So I end every show with a quote uh, and talk about your circumstance or circumstance that you could be in. Eleanor Roosevelt said, you can often change your circumstances by changing your attitude. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.